Have you wanted to start a YouTube channel and thought to yourself the effort was too daunting? I'm sure you're not alone. In this episode of the Influencer Green Room, we find out how Antonio Centeno recorded 100 videos in 100 days when he started his YouTube channel, and he shares his tips for you to do it too. All that and more coming up right now. Welcome to the Influencer Green Room, where influencers get real about audience growth, brand deals, and the business of being an influencer. It all happens right here inside the Influencer Green Room. And welcome to another episode of the Influencer Green Room. My name is Benji Travis. I've been a YouTuber for the last 10 years, co-authored the best-selling book, YouTube Secrets, and now an influencer coach on my channel, Video Influencers. Today, I'm speaking with Antonio Centeno, founder of Real Men, Real Style, successful businessman with multiple ventures. His YouTube channel boasts 2.7 million subscribers and over 300 million views. On there, he says, I'll teach you to use style as a weapon to get what you want out of life. I've always loved learning from this man. Antonio, thank you for being here and I'm excited to get into the conversation. Thank you, Benji. It's a pleasure to be here. I've known you for a number of years. Some of our influencers might not know you. So tell us, what was the inspiration and motivation initially for you to start this? Maybe even take us back before um, the YouTube channel, give us context of why you did uh, decide to launch this channel. Yeah, you know, I'll go back pretty far, but I was a kid that grew up in a trailer park in West Texas. And there was, I remember just growing up and not having nice clothes, having holes in my jeans, not being able to even patch them, being a little bit embarrassed by what I wore. I was skinny and it was just something I was very awkward and conscious about that I didn't look as good as my best friend who was the guy that like let's just say got all the ladies he had a you know a fit body and he just and they had a little bit a lot more money that he could get you know real Reeboks or real Nikes right. I'm buying the stuff at Payless that's <laughs> falling or you know that was falling apart I mean those shoes look good for like two days and then they would start to crack and I used fall to apart. shop at Payless yeah. too yeah I uh, I went through a lot of transformation. I started the, probably one of the best things I did was started challenge myself right after college. So I joined the Marine Corps. My father had been in the Army. Uh, my brother had been an enlisted Marine. My uh, you know my little brother ended up joining the Army as well. This was just something that our family did. I went in as an officer and I learned a lot. My first fitted suit was when I went to the Marine shop in Quantico, Virginia, and I bought this and I was just amazed at how well it fit and how well it made me look. Because it was one of those things when you're a young Marine officer, somehow you end up having a few drinks with your friends after at an event and you go out into the to the bars and all of a sudden you realize that women are paying attention to oh, you yeah. like they never did before. I mean, they lo- a lot of ladies love a man in uniform. <laughs> and it was just something that first time's happened to me in my life. And I took that, I took note, didn't think much of it, and then ended up uh, living in Ukraine abroad. I had to go to business school um, where I, and I got, I was going flying out to Harvard, was flying out to Cornell, was going to visit them. And I felt in a way like a fraud because yeah, I'd achieved a lot, but I still knew I was this kid that didn't know how to dress well. And I assumed that these people, knew, I mean, this was, this was Harvard, this was Cornell. And so I went and got a custom suit made. And the process I thought was very interesting. I was in Ukraine. The guy came to my fiance, now my wife's apartment. He measured me up. And within a week, he actually had that custom suit delivered to my door, got a rush job. And I felt and looked like a million bucks. And when I went to those events, I looked good. I got compliments. And again, that stuck with me in the back of my mind. So after I was fired from my first job out of business school back in late 2007, I said, you know what? 
what if I start this online clothing? And that's exactly what I did. Um, I ended up running it into the ground. It took me about four years to figure out that that business just wasn't cut out for it. But I learned something through that process, that painful process of failure is that, you know, I'm pretty good at writing and creating content. I started a blog, which turned into a vlog, which is real men, real style. I had to do my own marketing. I couldn't afford it. And I knew that, you know, I just believed it, it wasn't even called information marketing at the time. I just simply knew that I consumed content online. So if I created the best content in the world for men's style, I would probably naturally attract the buyers, which I desperately needed for my suit company. Suit company goes out of business, but I notice I'm still getting 100,000, 200,000 visitors a month to my little website. And so I start putting out these videos because for me, videos are my natural form of, I just don't mind being in front of a camera. It's easier for me than writing never took a typing course in my life. So I'm like, you know, I've already written two to 300 articles. How about I take that information and put it in the video format, put it out there on the web. And I committed to making a hundred videos in about a hundred days. Uh, that expanded to 200 videos in 200 days. And this was just me talking to a camera, black background, showing no images. And no, I mean, editing was wow. my wife was doing this and she was cutting the beginning, cutting the ending, trying to get rid of some of my mistakes and smooth it out. But in general, it was pretty simple edits and we threw them up on the channel and lo and behold, those first 200 videos got me to a million views, not a Whoa. million subscribers, but a mil I mean, we put in a lot of work and, <laughs> yeah. and it was early and it went, but it's just something that we put out timeless information and those first 200 videos just kind of cemented me. And also they taught me a lot. Everyone looks back, I think at their first 200 videos and they're like, I'm kind of embarrassed by those now that we've made probably close to 2000. Yeah. It's something that I realized, Hey, this thing has legs. We had companies start reaching out to us about sponsorships and uh, yeah. And then it was off to the races. And this is about 2013, 2014, when I really started taking this seriously. You and I both know a hundred videos is like doing, uh, you know, I don't know, a hundred sets of a hundred pushups. You get yeah. really strong in the process. Like if you were to do a hundred pushups for the ne next hundred days, you're going to get more buff. And so I feel like th those videos are important and to do it in a hundred days is very respectable. How did you do it? What were some of like the best practices? Because I think this is something people could learn from if they're just getting started. Well, first we committed to it and it was me and my wife. I had someone, an accountability partner and she was, you know, she was homeschooled, raising the kids. Uh, I mean, and she was expecting this. We had a clothier at the time that we were running. We first started this challenge. And so I had to work from the, the clothier, you know, from eight o'clock to about maybe, you know, six o'clock at night, putting in, you know, a good 10, 12 hour day. Uh, but so I would wake up at four o'clock in the morning and I would wow. film in the basement of my house. Now I knew that there, I wasn't gonna be able to do this every single day. So I would try to batch process and having that, making that commitment, having a set time limit in the sense I had, I had my studio hours were from 4.30 a.m. to about 6.30 a.m. I only had two hours to get that filming done. And if I need to get three to four videos done in that time period, guess what? I got those videos done because that's what the time limit. I always, you know, I remember visiting my sister out in California and I have to film. So especially if I, which we travel for like a month or two at a time. And uh, I would just rent out a studio in California. And it's amazing when you've got that time limit that you're able to get something done within that limit. And that 
just human nature. You talked about creating 100 videos and you committed to it. And secondly, batch producing. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that and what else you did to finish 100 videos in 100 days. Well, I think you're just going to have to, for a lot of people, they've got this idea in their head because we've watched Hollywood movies that my production level needs to be this. I need to cover this. But again, when you've got that time limit, when you've got those limited resources and you have to meet a deadline, you basically just make do with what you have. You get creative. And so many of us used to do this back in school. You only have a couple of hours, that exam you forgot oh, about yeah. or you procrastinated for. Well, what do you do? You find a way to study and focus. In. And I think that's the next thing I want to hit on is the whole Pareto principle, the 20% that yields you the 80%. And so for us, it was like, you know what? We have to get the audio right. I don't know where I read it, but you understood that if you have bad audio in a video, they're not going to watch it. Video needs to be decent. It needs to be good enough. But I found that for me, what made us stand out is it was an uncrowded market at the time. And I would go into detail that nobody else talked about. I had one gentleman just yesterday who was talking to him. I love talking to people that follow my channel. And occasionally I just jump on Zoom with them to learn more about who they are. But he said it was you said four years ago, he was watching one of my videos and I talked about the stitches per inch and how you measure that. And he's like, as soon as you said that, I'm like, this is the guy I want to learn from. Everyone else is talking in these generalities, but this guy is getting into the details and people, can, they can tell that. Next up, passion. You've got to want to be there. And I'll tell you, there's mornings I did not want to be there. It's 4.30 in the morning. And there was a guy, I think it was, he wrote the book, Little Things Matter, Fred, Fred um, Smith, I believe. And he would talk about how he would look himself in the mirror. And I've done this. You smack yourself. You wake up. You, you have to psych yourself up. I ran cross country. I played football, you know, in high school. It's one of those things that you understand. You've got to mentally be there. And you've got to put on that happy face sometimes when you don't want to because it's game day and people can feel that through the videos. And that comes down to, I think, one thing that always drove us is I really did always... So Andrew Warner over at Mixergy talks about this. Are you a mercenary or are you a missionary? In business, a mercenary is someone that just does it for the money. And a and, and, or mercenaries just do it for the money. Missionaries have a higher purpose. And I realized that, you know what? I really do have a higher purpose of... I love helping these guys. I love that there are so many men out there. Remember back in business school, a friend of mine, uh, he is all dressed up for an interview, going to go be with Apple, you know, Apple computers. He's so excited about it. And he was from China and I knew he didn't have a whole lot of money. He, like family had scrimped and saved to get him there to UT to get his MBA. But his shoes were so bad and his suit just, it was like wrinkled stuff. And I didn't say anything at the time. And I just wish I, I, I wished him the best, but I knew that he was going to get docked for this and he didn't get the job. I'm not sure it was because of how he was dressed, but I always think back to instances when I've seen somebody that shoots themselves in the foot because they don't understand the power of first impressions mm -hmm. and that human beings look for shortcuts. You know, we fall into this, the whole heuristics of like, oh, well, this person, if they look a success, I'm going to, I'm going to box them up as a success. And I get excited every time I put out one of those videos, because I know that they're helping men become the man they know themselves to be. You know, 
I think I say that a lot of my videos because <laughs> I truly believe it. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, staying committed, batch producing, um, the 80-20 rule, and having passion. I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better. And, you know, in fact, maybe one day I'm going to challenge myself to create 100 videos in 100 days. I technically kind of do, but not at the level that you're doing. And so let's kind of like change directions to the, the type of content you're creating. So one of the things that's interesting is I'm not really a fashionable person, right? But I understand the importance of fashion and how it affects not just the psyche of other people, but yourself, your confidence and everything. Um, tell us what has changed in the style industry. When you first started uh, back in, in the beginning of your channel, I'm sure there wasn't a lot of competition. There wasn't a lot of channels. There wasn't. There now was. there's a ton in, in so many different niches. Uh, what has kind of changed and how have you adjusted and kept up with the times? You know, one thing I'm very happy to see is it's become more acceptable for men to openly care about their appearance. It used to be you were a metrosexual if you yeah. somehow, that, yeah. it's not, that word's not even used anymore. No. It is just normal. And we've got a younger generation who they understand the power of presentation. Maybe not, you know, they don't say it that way, but what they do understand is they're paying more attention to style, to their image. A lot of the generate, you know, generation X and beyond, you know, they didn't really care too much about it. And I find that a lot of people in my audience they come to me, even though I'm maybe double their age, they still follow me because they do respect and they, again, appreciate that I'm this professor of style, able to teach them the information that their father never passed on to them because they didn't have a dad or their dad just didn't find this stuff important. And now they've got a blue collar job or they've got a, you know, a blue collar job, but they still, they own a company and they realize, hey, I need to have a uniform for my company because I've started this company up. And even though my dad did well as an electrician, I own an electrician company and I hire 20 people like my dad. And I want to make sure that every time one of our guys goes to a door, knocks on it, that the woman behind there with three kids, you know, and he's 15 minutes early, she does, she, she sees him as, Hey, this is the guy that is supposed to fix our, yeah. you know, our, our electricity, not the guy that who is this, you know, guy that looks like he's homeless. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting just considering as, as there's more competition, there's also more eyeballs. There's like bigger audiences out there. And in some cases you can grow way faster. And in some cases, you know, you really have to be like super niche. You have to be really competitive. Yeah. Um, but uh, anything else you would say in terms terms of where the industry is at or your genre and your niche in terms of style, you know, like how have you evolved to not necessarily compete against other channels, but, you know, stay relevant. And that's another thing too. You have 1600 videos. How do you come up with new ideas, you know, for new uploads? You have two separate questions there, and I'll address the first one. The first one is we recognized pretty early, you know, I realized I'm just getting older and I don't want to do this forever. I didn't set out to be some video personality. I just simply didn't have the, the money to hire someone to be the video personality. So I had to do it and yeah. I've fallen into it. That being said, one of the best decisions I made a few years back, I partnered up with many people perceive my biggest competitor, Alpha M. We're business partners. We've owned three companies together. In fact, you know, we, we now have an investment company, but we started this media company together and with another business partner, Terry Edelman, 
So the most successful company actually I ever created is now Menfluential Media. And we saw where the industry was going. There were more players entering, competition was shooting up. And I just decided, you know what, how about instead of competing against all these other creators, we actually create a media company which channels them and helps them better find deals. Because I still continue to get, you know, every single day, five to six companies reach out, they want to do a deal. You know what this is like, Benji. And it's like, I, I don't have the time to negotiate, to go back and forth, to set up meetings with all these people. Alpha had the same issue. You know, Aaron was receiving like 10 deals every single day. So we brought in a friend, Terry Edelman, and we partnered up. And we take all those leads, hundreds every single month, and he spends the time as a sales guy going back and forth negotiating on our behalf. It started off as just me and him. Then we brought in another guy, Jose Zuniga, the third biggest guy in our space, and now has surpassed me. You know, he's bigger than me now. We brought in another guy, Alex Costa, you know, that, that we brought in. And all of a sudden, all the men in the men's lifestyle space, and by, by the way, women as well, who we started bringing in car guys. We started bringing in people that talk about things outside, but they're all, the thing in common is that all of them serve men in their audience and our brands, which we have over 200 brands we've worked with now, they want to get in front of these people. So Menfluential Media now has become my largest and most profitable company. And that one has required the least amount of work. And uh, really it was, you know, it came out of my channel because of the opportunities my channel created. That's awesome. You know, one of the things that I love about you is the fact that there's so many dimensions to you. It's not just this YouTube channel. By the way, the YouTube channel alone would be enough, but you had the wisdom and the foresight to understand that this isn't going to last forever. I used to tell Judy this in 2008. I said, this could all dry up in, a in, in the next year. So let's like milk it for all it's worth while doing things with integrity. But as years went by, I, I saw like, hey, this is going to maybe go on a lot longer, but I was always planting seeds. So, um, I, you know, you, you obviously have a lot of successful businesses. Um, you're doing really well for yourself. Um, in addition to the YouTube channel, you're, you're making these partnerships, you're, you're launching these brands. But I'm sure, and you did kind of uh, allude to this in the beginning, you've had some failures. And I think one of the things that's interesting about really successful people is they have just as many failures um, to tell about. Do you mind sharing maybe like one or two of the failures that you've experienced, um, and, you know, what you learned from it and how you adjusted so that you could move forward to the next project, to the next success? You know, I'll disagree with you a bit there, Benji. Okay. I think I have two to three times as many failures as I have <laughs> okay. successes there. there. You so, you know, for me, it's just something I could bring up. I mean, we have them all the time. You make you make the wrong hires. You end up putting a lot of money into a project that never sees anything. Um, one of the biggest ones that I've been pretty open about is my bankruptcy. And actually just simply starting up this clothier, putting my heart and soul into it, and then just accruing all this debt that I wasn't able to feel I could escape out of. And then you have to go in front of a judge and you've got to say, hey, I can't, I need to be absolved of this. And it destroyed my credit for a decade. Uh, but it was something that I learned a lot of very valuable lessons. I mean, when you're burnt like that, all of a sudden you realize that, hey, I have a problem. I need to be more fiscally conservative or I need to just simply rethink the way I understand money. And that's one of the reasons that we have, you know, this, the saying we have is make hay while the sun is shining. You know, it's like, I don't know how long the sun's going to be up. I also live very frugally because of that. I, for years, I could not have any credit cards. I had to just use debit cards or 
credit cards that you had the money set aside so the bank would trust that it would get paid for because they held that amount. So I've had the same truck for 22 years. And, you know, it's just simply, I, yes, I, nowadays I could just go buy a new one cash. Like I bought my wife a new van, the, you know, a, a few years ago, you know, just cash, you know, our house is paid for. But what I learned is I want to live well below my knee, means and just put away money, whether that be in the stock market, you know, whether that be in cryptocurrency, whether that be in a bit of real estate. And I want to diversify and protect myself just because I understand YouTube to an extent. I also understand that this thing can flip on a dime and that YouTube can YouTube giveth, but YouTube also taketh away. There you go. I mean, the world, the life just take us away. Um, on that note, uh, obviously you have this new lifestyle, but how has that loss of credit, that loss of the ability to, you know, have loans or just like that whole experience changed how you actually go about uh, starting new businesses? I think you learn to work with what you've got. So Robert Rodriguez talked about this in the filming of when he came up with his first movie, El Mariachi, which he did like on five or $6,000. You realize that, hey, we have to have constraints with things that we're doing. Like I would love to be able to have a budget that I can spend thirty to $50,000 to make a YouTube video. That's just not going to happen. We've got a much tighter budget. So the vast majority of our content is going to be very simple. It's going to be very, you know, it's going to be me standing in front of a camera, going through the information. We'll try to bring in B-roll here or there, but we'll oftentimes make the B-roll ourselves. Uh, it is going to be something we've got that time constraint. I can't have my video editing guy, like I'm going to get really one cut back and forth. Uh, yes, I'd like to make some additional changes. I do feel the video can be better, but we, not only do we need to get it out, but I don't want him to spend more than just, you know, eight hours on this video editing before it gets out. So I think putting those constraints there really allows you to be more a bit more creative because you can focus your creativity on on areas that yeah, you know, you just not spread as thin. For sure. Yeah, you're uh, you're way more focused, you're prioritized, more purposeful. Uh, I can totally relate to uh, just wasting time, right? And of course, when you waste time, you waste money and you'll feel that long term. One thing that happens when you fail in life is you have that self-reflection moment. Now, I'm not saying that that's what's happening right now, um, but you brought this up before the recording that I want to kind of like visit and talk about. Um, how important is self-reflection? How do you do it and how does it affect your decision making? What and why do you do it? Yeah, you know, my so my background is philosophy. I studied this in undergrad because I came to college when I was 16, 17. I had a lot of questions about God. I didn't understand, you know, it was just basic stuff like, you know, why do some people have more? Why have I had these, you know, difficulties? Why have we gone through these struggles? I remember one instance, like I had an aunt and, you know, her, her ex-boyfriend, you know, stopped her car and went up and shot her in the head. And you see these things happen in your life and you're like, why us? Why me? You know, I looked at my, you know, my mom, you know, has, has lost two children. You know, I lost a sister to suicide. We had another, you know, I had an older sister who I never met, you know, died of you know, meningitis, you know, or I mean, when she was three years old. And you're like, why do these things happen? So I'm studying philosophy in undergrad because I, I started off in religion and it didn't give me the answers I was looking for. But philosophy forces you to ask these 
questions of yourself. And there's different, all different types. Uh, but if you go back to the Stoics, you go back to uh, a lot of, you know, the Greeks and the stuff, you know, you start to realize, you know, the same questions have been asked for thousands and thousands of years. And I try to learn from the past. I'm not, I'm not great at it, but I'm, one thing I saw that these guys did and these gals, you know, is that they took the time to ask and, and to spend time alone, to spend time asking and going through this and not falling into, you know, being distracted all the time. It's funny. I was at, I think it was Clamor, uh, not ClamorCon. It was, uh, it was VidCon. And the, the, the guy that owned or it started Maker Studios was up on stage. And I remember he was talking, he talked about how, you know, that people would rather be distracted and they would, they would rather not lose their cell phone. And they, you know, if they, if you had to break their arm or they would take their cell phone, break their arm, please. <laughs> and they all, everyone thought that was funny. Everyone's laughing. And I'm thinking, what kind of world do we live in, in which yeah. people are like, they need to have this constant distraction on their hand. And it's uncomfortable because I am as guilty as anyone else of being addicted to my phone. But I think that you taking those steps, and I'm not saying you got to take a day to self-reflect, but maybe you got to go through your phone and delete Instagram. Clubhouse, there's a reason, you know, I, I haven't been on it for a while yeah. because I realized I was getting addicted to it and <laughs> how much value was it bringing? It's cool to, you know, Benji, we reconnected on Clubhouse sure. and I go in there for that, but it's something that, hey, there's nothing wrong with cleaning Twitter. I talked to someone the other day. Has anything really positive come out of Twitter? Well, there's maybe one or 2% of people that can say yes. But for the vast majority of people, Twitter just seems to be a bunch of landmines and negative you know, words going across. Maybe you need to take that off your phone. And that's a five minute, not even that, a five second action that could actually free up a lot of time and allow you to focus in on the things that really matter, which is why aren't you making Thursdays available to spend time with your daughters, taking them to the pool, and instead you've you've even hired a nanny to do that. You know, I remember talking to my wife about like, hey, we need to hire someone to come clean, you know, clean the house. We need to have like this because I'm a busy, you know, business guy. And, and it feels good to hire that help out. And then she points out, you know, well, you need to teach your son hard work and you need to, you know, we need to be teaching the kids how to clean up after themselves. So, you know, the point is we still have a messy house, but <laughs> my kids are doing what they can. And to me, this isn't like, I guess what you asked about reflection, yeah. like reflection doesn't have to happen over a long period. It's sometimes when you see something and then you just make, a, I think, a systematic change and you start to, you know, see those effects in your life. Yeah. And uh, I try to reflect here or there and really take that step back and ask myself, is my life going in the right direction? Because like I said, I didn't even set out to be a YouTuber and here I am with all these <laughs> millions of subscribers. And it, I, I'm very fortunate that I live in a small town where no one cares. Yeah, I live in a town of a thousand people in the middle of Wisconsin. And honestly, nobody really cares what I do because I'm not a Packer fan. I don't hunt <laughs> and, you know, and I don't farm. And that's all these people care about, which is, yeah. which is great. You know? Yeah. I, um, I think for anybody, whether you're just starting out or you're a seasoned influencer, whether you're young or old, having that moment of self-reflection at any time, whether you're going through a complete failure or you're succeeding is important to get in tune with what's important in life. And uh, it's interesting. My wife and your wife would probably get along because I am just like you. I'm like the 80-20 man. I read the four-hour work week back in 2009, which kind of ruined me in this sense. I'm like, 
like, how do I scale this? What is the most important action? Everything else I delegate or hire out. And it's interesting because one thing I just cannot hire, Antonio, is washing the dishes. Partly because that's an intimate time with the family. And my wife doesn't just want some stranger coming in and washing dishes, which you think is silly, but then when you add it up, like I wash dishes probably for an hour a day, at least five times a week, if not six and seven. So that's seven hours. And so my, my I guess, uh, business mind is saying, hey, what could I do with that seven hours? Let me give you a secret on washing yeah. dishes. Yes, Go yeah. for the metal scrubber. You, <laughs> yeah. I don't oh. get rid of all type of nonstick pans and just metal scrub everything. I it works on glass. Yeah, my I metal, use metal scrubber, scrubber. My metal yeah. scrubber. I need to get a new one. It's been worn down so much, especially for the stainless steel pans. But my point being, what's interesting though is, um, as I get older and wiser, hopefully, and also my my girls are getting older. You know, yeah, I might spend time, uh, um, you know, washing those dishes, but there's something more priceless I'm getting with the home life. And it's interesting because, you know, we're, we're looking to build our next home soon. And, uh, you know, of course, the natural thing to do is build a bigger home. For me, we just want to move in our in-laws. I have a mother-in-law. And I'm finding that all this kind of relates, by the way, Antonio. I'm finding that as we work so hard to be successful – it's interesting. If we don't have that moment to reflect, we forget the whole motivation for doing all this in the first place. So washing the dishes is an indirect way of me being with the family, taking care of the family, showing my kids hard work ethic. And this is why I'm laughing as you're talking because I can relate to you in so many ways. At the very end of the year, too, I take uh, a whole week off. Um, I try not to work very much or very minimal and I'll have three days of silence where I'm literally by myself. I only go into the house to uh, spend time with the family at night, like dinner and sleep. And then I'm back in my office, completely isolated, no social media, no uh, books, because I do also believe in that moment of reflection because you want to make big life decisions that are based off of like what are the passions you have in life, not by these exterior motivations. Um, anything else you'd want to add to that? Because I think this is so powerful for people. And it could be like the break, breakaway moment you need to be able, basically have a breakthrough. No, I, I, I love that, man. I'm, I'm thinking that a great gift my wife gave me on my last birthday was she rented, there's a Frank, so Frank Lloyd Wright, you probably a lot of people listening, maybe know him as the, you know, the architect. He was actually from the Wisconsin, or did a lot of stuff here in Wisconsin. And one of his houses is here uh, that he designed, uh, but he didn't actually build, he did visit it. In any case, my wife on my birthday rented, it was an Airbnb. So she rented it for me for a couple of days. And it's just exactly like you said, I go there and I sit and I just think. And one thing I picked up, like studying a bit of architecture is like, it's not about, we all think we need these McMansions. I mean, I, I think I need that. I want that great room, you know, that has the huge fireplace. And you realize how uncozy that is and how cold that home can be versus, you know, if you're familiar with like the Hobbit, the idea of a Hobbit hole and a small cozy home is that it feels like a home, that it feels like it's wrapped around you and comfortable, not claustrophobic, but to a point that it's like, it just feels like you belong there. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, I've got the dream and the aspiration to build my dream home, but I'm happy that I've had to wait longer because if I would have built it, I think five years ago, I would have gone for that big cavernous, you know, huge house versus now what I'm wanting is 
No, what, what matters? I want to be self-sufficient. I want to be off the grid. I want it to be cozy. I want privacy so that we can have our family. And, you know, when my kids are grown, my wife and I have talked, we want them to be, come back and visit us. So it's probably going to be important to be in a place and in a location that is just, you know, beautiful, a place where yeah. they want to stay. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so, by the way, love all these stories, love these references. Um, I'm going to go through basically your life in a snapshot. I know there's so much more to you than this. Um, you started out studying philosophy um, as a poor young person. You went into the Marines. You went to business school. You started a business. You became a YouTuber, and then you're a, you're a family man. You're married. You've got kids, and you end up almost to a certain degree a philosopher. How full circle is that? And by the way, probably you don't think of yourself as a philosopher, like put that title. No, secretly, Benji, I have actually, I asked my wife like oh, two weeks ago, what would you think if I quit everything and just became a philosopher? <laughs> you know, I mean, cause you, cause you don't really run into many philosophers. So there's part, I actually thought it'd be kind of a cool title just yeah. to call myself a philosopher and just to spend time thinking, you know? <laughs> No, well, I'll tell you, Antonio, this is one of the reasons I always, uh, uh, it's refreshing to talk to you because I feel like I'm always learning from you. There's so much wisdom. So you being the philosopher right now, what are your last thoughts when you reflect back on your journey that you've been on for so long and you look at where the world is right now? Because of course, even though things are getting better, um, there's still a lot of difficult times ahead and people are suffering and obviously like businesses and influence influencers, creators, um, just individuals, um, generally speaking, are going through these difficult moments in their life. What are your thoughts about how to get through it? Um, and what are the big takeaways from your lessons that you're utilizing to move forward yourself? So I do a lot of reading on history. And my wife finds it kind of weird, but me and my son, we love to read books on some of the great battles in war. Like I've got a World War II day-by-day -day book right next to my bed. Why do I read this? Because it's a, I, one, I enjoy the stories and the tactics. And, but what I really love is how it puts into, like people are complaining now about what's happening, but let's go back and let's look at the, let's look at the stats from the 19, you know, from the influenza, like what was that? 1916, 1918, when that happened, let's look at the, what happened in world war II. Let's go back to the civil war and look at how many people died in some of these battles or what would happen with disease. Would I rather be alive? Were things really that great a hundred years ago? Were they really that great 50 years ago? My daughter and I, I mean, my wife and I were talking about our daughter, how, she is able to, you know, walk and we've got so much information around us that we're, we feel pretty confident in this small town. Uh, and we actually know our neighbors and we know, you know, a little bit about them versus when she was growing up, it was something that you would hear about. I mean, kids would get abused, kids would get, um, you know, stuck in situations, but you didn't talk about it because it was shameful. Now we're much more open about it. Maybe we're not, and I'm not saying we are perfect. And you, you know, people complain about the current president. They complain about the last president. They complain about, you know, but, but if you understand history, you see that this has actually happened again and again and again. And what have human beings done? We've found a way to get through this. And I try to take that, you know, all in when I stop, I don't even watch the news, to be honest. I don't have the news, any type of apps. You're I not don't missing, check it out. You're not missing anything. Yeah. It's all bad news. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's, it, I mean, and you, when you realize the news is just another influencer trying to grab your attention, it kind of puts things into perspective that, wait a minute, they're just trying to get clicks and make money off me. And of course, you know, that's why nine out of 10 stories are negative. Even though, you know, you look around, the vast majority of the world is just simply plodding along, doing what they can every day and usually doing the right thing. Yeah, no, it, it's such a good point. I, I, it makes me think maybe I should delete my Twitter. All I do is go to whatever's trending and what is the news of the day. And literally every time I look at them thinking, why am I even doing this? I mean, it's generally the same thing. COVID's getting better. More people getting vaccinated. There's this new scandal or whatever. I, I think one point you brought up is very interesting to me. It's kind of the polar opposite of what's happening. But, you know, this idea of cancel culture and people trying to cancel people, I don't think that is a good thing, especially when it, it's like it's so extreme how indirect it is. But one of the reasons for that and you mentioned it, the benefit, people are more open to communicate. And I do agree that as you talk about issues and you share your struggles, even to a certain degree, like what you're doing today, talking about uh, your financial uh, hardships, the bankruptcy and how you came back, like people will learn from that versus being ashamed of things and not sharing and not spreading the information. Um, I think that people would benefit. Um, is that how you feel about it? Because I thought that was really like a philosopher moment that you said the ability for people to communicate is better than ever before. And that is a good thing. I, I agree. And I think, but what I love to see is communication at the local level where you actually go speak to somebody and you don't just post on Facebook thinking that, I mean, how many times has your mind been changed by what oh somebody posted on Facebook? And if, you know, and if it hasn't, then you probably want to think twice about, you know, throwing that stuff out there. And instead, I think, try to make local change. What can you yeah. do? Like what, what, impact can you have? And usually you can have a pretty big impact. Um, yeah. I mean, awesome. I'll just leave this with happiness levels. And what is it like you're, you're happiest when you're seven years old, eight years old, and then it starts to drop until all of a sudden it picks up again when you're in your seventies or, you know, why does that happen? Because it's something, it's something happens. I think when we're eight or nine, we start to care what other people think. We start to fall into this trap of trying to please others, of really being hypersensitive and trying to react. And I'm trying to, and I'm trapped in this just like anybody else. And it's a daily process of, you know, what do I really want to do? What do I really want to become? What do I really want to go after? And that sounds selfish, but it, it's not. I think whenever you approach it from the perspective of, you know, I'm going to go out there and, and usually the things I choose are things that make society better, especially in my local community. And uh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Antonio, always honored to uh, talk with you. I want to give you the last couple of minutes. If there's a young person or just somebody generally starting out, you know, building their influence on social media or YouTube or wanting to, you know, start launch a business utilizing these platforms um, and, you know, they're going through kind of like the self-doubt or some of the struggles. Obviously, it's so much more competitive. What's your advice for them? Because you've been through so many struggles, so many failures. Uh, what would you want to tell them to give them some hope and some motivation i i would don't you know don't be you know th this is this is tough because i know that so many people are in a dark spot or in a tough spot and i don't mean to sound callous here but i would say find ways to challenge yourself 
in, you know, because we've all got skills. It may be that, yeah, you're, you don't feel that you are, you look great, that you, you get, feel like you got a face for radio, you know, instead of video, but maybe you're a great runner. Maybe you're somebody that you actually are really good at, uh, I don't know, putting up blinds or doing some re- re- repair work. You know, I would find something that's going to challenge you and go through that. I know for me as a runner, I was a distance runner. Having known that I could go out there and run a marathon, that I've gone through these forced marches in the Marine Corps, well, that made me tough enough that I realized, hey, you know, I'm actually pretty tough. I can deal with what's going to get thrown at me because it's not going to be any worse than, you know, going on that forced march. And so I, I know, you know, if you've, you know, let's say it's a young woman and she's been, you know, playing volleyball throughout school and she, she's been hit pretty hard. She's like hit that floor pretty bad. She's kind of messed up a leg one time and she made her way through that painful process. In fact, she came back with rehabilitation to an even higher level. She should view that as, I mean, that's a trophy right there. That's something that not everyone does. And she should be proud about that. And she give her the strength knowing that she's gone through that difficult time to be able to deal with, anything that gets thrown under, especially online, which in many times it's, it's not nearly as bad as what they make it out to be. For sure. No, that's, it's a, it's a great lesson to be reminded of that the hardest lessons or the, the, the learning moments that we need to be able to get through the next challenge. So Antonio, thank you so much. Hey, we're going to put all the uh, links, uh, maybe not your Twitter since you're not on it very often, but your YouTube channel, the different projects. Um, where can people find you or where would you want people to go if they listen to this? Yeah, you know, if they just type in realmenrealstyle.com, they'll go to my website. We've got a form that, you know, just, I, I love that form because it, one, it's it's kind of unique. It's kind of fun. But the other thing about that form is I always know I'm going to get your email versus, you, you know, go. sometimes people try to contact us other ways and you don't see it. I will fill out that form myself. So I hope everybody does. Definitely, if you guys, in terms of you know men's fashion and style, uh, one of the best channels out there, go check it out. Antonio, thank you so much. And I'll talk to you guys later. Thank you for hanging out with us. We look forward to sharing even more conversations with you from inside the Influencer Green Room. 